Okay, Teresa, what I'd like to ask you today is all about food. And I know from our chat about your five pillars of wellness that food is super important. Now, when I'm talking to people about food, it's often within the context of calories and how many calories I need to either gain weight or lose weight, which is the main one, really. And another big topic when it comes to food is nutrients and supplements. Am I getting the nutrients I need in food? And if not, what supplements can I take to get what I need? But I know that you have a different perspective on food. So I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about how you think about food. And perhaps even a good place to start was just 10 minutes ago before we got on to um, our call here, I was going over my notes on food. And I have a quote from you, which is as follows. The biggest point is that you can't make better choices until you first know what our bodies consider food to be. Food is not just nutrients. So I read that and I thought that was might be a really good place for us to get started from. So what do you think? Should we start from there or how do you want to go from here? Yes, that I, I think that's a really good place to start. It's the opposite place where than where most people start when they think about food. So, excuse me for saying so so much. I collect collecting my thoughts. That's no problem. Um, mostly, I work with women's health and wellness, and when it comes to food, they have two pretty distinct ways of thinking about food. Um, One is dieting, which usually has to do with trying to lose weight. So there's some way that we think of restricting in some way, like restricting calories, restricting eating times, restricting meaning you might feel like you wanted to eat, you might think that you're hungry or you might have a craving, but you restrict, you don't eat those things or at that time because you're trying to change your body shape. But a lot of women are also mothers and they are feeding their families and they think about foods in terms of what kind of food would be good for my children. Um, Women tend not to think so much about what kind of food would be good for them as much as they think about um, how do I eat and not get fat. So I look at both of those things as being problems if you start with wanting to know about the answers to those questions to understand food. Mm -hmm. So I want to reel back so that we all have this common ground and common sense approach to what is food for what's food for any animal that needs food, what's food for humans, what is nourishment, nutrients, nutrition, all these words are used interchangeably and we have to understand that people will hear words like this and have a sense of what that means. So I don't really mind too much about whether you use the right word as long as you understand um, 
when I say you and like the people I'm trying to help mm-hmm. figure out what, you know, what choices to make is that if they have an understanding of why we need food, what food we would need, when we would need food, all those those questions, and really understand at its most fundamental level, what is food and why do we need it? You know, another big topic we do is sleep, and it's the same sort of thing. We we look at it on the as a fixing a problem with it before we have any sort of grasp of the basics. Mm-hmm. So for food, I encourage that we first think that the big difference between plants and animals are that animals need to eat food and plants in general, these are in generals, plants can make their own food from using energy from the sun and the nutrients that are from the soil, if you know, they're growing in the ground, that they pull those in and the they can make energy that they can use for their own growth, develop and maintenance. And then also for reproduction to get to the next generation, which would generally be a seed like, and they would put food in the seed until the next generation of plants were far enough along made leaves that they can use that process, that photosynthesis process, using the energy of the sun to make food for themselves. So, Plants are useful for food for us because that's how they go about, you know. So food provides us, all animals, they need food because we need building blocks that will be used to grow, to maintain our bodies, do repairs, um, to make things that need to be remade on a constant basis, like we need to keep making new blood cells, we need to keep making new skin cells, you know, there, that there are some things that we keep doing over and over. We have to make a lot of chemicals in our body to run our body processes and things like that. And food supplies the building blocks that we need or those things. Yeah. Teresa, just before I get into that, I don't know if this is a precursor to building blocks, but it's a question that I have anyway. So I'd like to ask it now. And it's, you have said numerous times when you're talking about food, that food was, in order for something to be food, it has to be once alive. Yes. So that may seem like an obvious statement, but to me, I'm actually kind of thinking, why is that important? That food has had to be alive. Are we eating things that are not alive? When I go to the supermarket, is everything in there alive or was once alive? Why is that statement important that food was once alive? Well, it's part of this, the idea of the circle of life. Mm-hmm. And if you... If we go through this, everything that you eat is not food. Okay. Okay. So I think that's. Uh, this is a really important point. One yeah. of the things that we eat, especially if we take supplements, is we eat, um, and people will say those are minerals. Um, so 
let's just go back before we could manufacture supplements and what would be something that we would eat that we would need that isn't food? Salt. Okay, so in especially um, in cultures that had a very plant-based diet, they need more salt. Salt is in animal products because we're the salt we need is present in other animals. We're all about equally salty. So the salt comes in that way through them. Um, you know, there's been many, many long periods of times in history when salt was so important. Um, it's certainly worth a talk all on its own, but that was the only way we really could preserve food for any length of time was to heavily salt it and then you soak it and take some of the salt out. But it, it, you know, salt will remove, um, remove, uh, moisture and it also creates an environment where bacteria, they don't grow very well in that. So we could preserve food because the bacteria then would not cause those foods to spoil if they were salted. Refrigeration is a relatively new phenomenon. So salt is a mineral, but it's not food, but we need it. So I'm not saying that all that we eat, we don't need. I'm just saying, let's look and have a sense of what food is and what food does. Mm -hmm. So that when we talk about making variations, we can we can look at it in terms of asking these questions about what we're going to eat or what we plan to eat or what we buy and and in understanding how it could help us and what what would be present in that food that would be uh, helpful then that helps us make better decisions what what i'm not talking about is right now People eat a lot of things that would be not food, actually, if you start off with the presumption that what when we're talking about food, food is something that was once alive, a plant or an animal based. We make a lot of synthetic food. So there's foods that are chemically processed that are made by human beings. And then right away, people go like, well, see, that is bad food. I would say that the biggest problem with this is it ends up being a food forgery. So we run into problems in our body when the mechanisms in our body that are already in place to help break down and recognize and utilize things within food, because it all has to be processed inside the body. Um, first processed in the digestive uh, tract, which is the inside of your body as you look at a person, but it's a tube that goes runs through your body. So it's not just as if you were to look through a tube, like a tube of um, like a paper towel tube or something you could, you look through and there's air inside of it because the inside is, is it's a tube. So the tube that runs through our body, when food is in there, we can't see it any longer, but it really hasn't been incorporated into our body for food to be incorporated into our body, it needs to be absorbed. So all these will come into play as we talk about like what would happen to food after we ate it. But I just, it's just not my way. We have a lot of synthetic foods, processed foods that the, the issues that we might be having with some of these, these foods today is that they are very tricky to our body. They 
trigger a response that our body says that is food and the it's this kind of food and it should have these kind of things in it but those things aren't actually there and i i do believe that's one of the big contributors to um having so much of a problem in modern society with excess fat undesirable fat you know more fat than we need we need some fat um we're very fat species because those fat stores help protect our brain to make sure that there's calories always on board so the body is going to be very resistant, especially in women who would need to make sure that their fat stores were adequate in order to maintain a pregnancy and lactation, even if food was scarce at that time. So hormonally, we have a lot of built-in systems, again, particularly if you're female, to protect your fat stores. Teresa, just so- can I interject here a sec? I want to get back to this idea because I don't still have clarity on what is food so what we covered there just let me quick go through what I think that has been said so far is that number one plants make their food animals eat their food number two food was once alive so those are two points that I have in my head that are quite clear are those correct okay and let, let me just say is like when it comes to plants because plants don't eat it you we can use a word like food but actually mm-hmm. what plants actually do is they make their own fuel they don't really make their own food because okay. they do need to have nutrients which we're going to get into they need to be in soil or they need a source of nutrients but they you know food is going to contain Fuel, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, it is building blocks and fuel. And the fuel part of food, plants can make that for themselves. So this is really what we're talking about. That's the fuel part. And they aren't inventing fuel or energy. They are actually just transforming energy that's present in the sun, solar energy. Everybody knows about that. So that's how we got the idea. So plants use solar energy and they convert it into stored energy which we we could then use as energy from eating a plant there'd be stored fuel in the plant that once was solar energy and has now been converted to you know technically i'd say you know chemical energy Mm -hmm. but we can we um we can't use the sun for energy uh we need to eat food to get energy mm-hmm. and in that food there are certain things that need to be that human beings need to survive at all they need to eat food um, because otherwise they have no way of getting these building blocks and they have no way of getting the fuel that is needed to run the body so f- fuel fuel and building blocks are the main things that are going to come out of food that we need. And those are what we need to be nourished. So, okay. And when you say nourished, what does that mean? Nourished, I use as a a wellness term. Like if, if you want your body to be humming along, functioning well, able to take certain stressors and things like that, um, nourished means you can, face periods of time of deprivation where you might 
not be able to eat the best quality food for a variety of reasons and but your body stores are good because you're well nourished um there's a specific example I can use um, that help women especially understand. So if you're well nourished when you get pregnant, it doesn't really matter that you have morning sickness and you throw up or, you know, some or you don't really feel like eating very much because your body is well nourished and there's plenty there in terms of fuel and building blocks uh, to get your pregnancy started if you have a well-nourished body. So all the things would be there. If you're well-nourished, despite the fact you really don't feel like you're eating, you really don't feel like eating anything, and you might actually even be you know, having some vomiting. But m- many women have nausea and are sort of off on their appetite. But all the time people say, it's like, I know I need to eat for the baby. And they don't really, because nature's provided for that. But it is already assuming that if you got pregnant, that you probably were already well nourished. One of the things, you know, we look at to start with is in nature, when animals aren't well nourished, they usually have difficulties um, with reproduction because that's just nature's way of saying, well, take care of yourself before you need to take care of anything else. So. So this is built into the system, and that's why I'm saying is if we understand how food works, once we start seeing things that we would think of as food like um, lettuce and eggs and milk and breakfast cereal and, you know, just a whole variety of all these things, foodstuffs that you would see in a grocery store, for example, we can start to say, how would that work in my body? Because now I understand what food is and why my body would need food, and then you don't need so much as reading the labels that tell you the chemical nutrient compositions of things because those are measurements and we'll get into that is but that doesn't necessarily translate directly into how well nourished your body Mm. will be so when i say nourished just because you eat nutrients does not mean you will be well nourished because we have a lot of steps between those nutrients so to speak, that is just a word we've put on them legally um, between when they're put in something or on something and having them be uh, absorbed and properly utilized by the body in the way that they would need to be used. Because most nutrients need hormones and you know other factors mm-hmm. to make everything work. It's just these, that's why I like to use the term building blocks. They're nowhere near the end product and that's fine. So we have these recipe books inside of our body called DNA that, you know, basically have a recipe for everything that we would need. Um, and so we eat food and it's broken down into the building blocks, which would just be like a well-stocked pantry where the body can choose what it needs to make what it needs at that time, at that day, in that person, in that environment. So uh, it's got a huge amount of flexibility built in because we are not the same as the food that we ate. Mm -hmm. Strictly speaking, but not strictly speaking, we actually are the same as the food that we ate. It's just broken down and repurposed. We're recycled from the food that we Mm -hmm. eat. Yeah, absolutely. So just to recap there then in terms of why we need food it's that we need food as far as i understand it right now for fuel and building blocks and then that gives us nourishment that's then broken down 
as you said, and it makes up who we are as a as a human. So, Tracy, you mentioned there synthetic food. So we're eating a lot of synthetic food now, and there's a difference between that and actual food. But I see a lot of people, they do what you say, they go to the supermarket, they just read the label on the back of the packaging, they look at the numbers, the calories, they look at the macronutrients, they look at then the micronutrients, if those are available. And that's how people choose their food. So how should we actually be choosing our food to get this idea of nourishment? Well, I think that the first step is to do what we're doing right now, which is to understand what food is. So then you can look at it and you can say, all right, if you start with this most basic presumption is for what the purposes our body needs for how we were designed, and this would be for any animal is food was something that was once alive. All right. And again, there could be other things that you need in addition to food like salt, which is not food, but it is a, it does contain nutrients. And so we would maybe, you know, some animals would lick a salt lick and water isn't food either, but it is something that we need. So we're going to, we can talk about those later. Let's just stick with food for right now, because that's the biggest difference is we see all these animals on the planet and they all look so very different from each other. But at a very basic level, the differences between animals are usually in the food that they would need to eat and how they would process that food in order to um, nourish their bodies. So they may eat plant material and be an herbivore or they may eat animals, but only certain animals or certain they may be an omnivore that eats a lot of different things and they their body, their digestive system is capable of extracting fuel and building blocks from whatever it is that they eat that's likely to be in that environment. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously animals aren't fed except for baby animals. Animals have to yeah. eat. They have to get their own food. So we... Our brains are so big and so much of our life is automatic. We have skipped over a lot of these parts and it isn't you need to dwell on them, but having an understanding of them makes it a lot easier to make choices. So if I start by helping people understand that food was something that was once alive and it just gets recycled into different forms, you look at food and you say, okay, it would be broken down into these things and it would provide me with these things. So um, and we'll talk about this uh, because we have a big, you know, we have a tendency to have um, problems with getting the balance right. So we may not have enough building blocks or we may have lots of one kind of building blocks and be deficient in others. Those create the deficiencies. Um, and then a lot of food that is created and the way that food was synthesized is to make food available for fuel. So I usually would say as a blanket statement, a problem we have right now is that because of the choices of food that we're making is we are um, undernourished when it comes to building blocks, but we're overfueled because we're eating a lot of um, foods that contain a high, um, you know, that can be used for fuel, but don't really contain much in the way of building blocks. And in nature, 
that works out usually quite well as long as you're getting small amounts, which is usually all that's needed, of food that is uh, um, has is nutritionally dense in terms of building blocks because we don't eat those foods because even our food isn't well nourished. The plants aren't well nourished because the soil is depleted. The animals are being fed by us instead of choosing their natural foods they would. So they're, they're, that food does not have the same amount of building blocks it would have in a world where animals went around and plants grew wild, they would have a different composition. So these are things that kind of, they come into like, where did my food come from? You can see, you can make choices and say, oh, well, when food comes from that way, like an egg, for example, which I consider to be just an amazing food. So we start off with an egg and the egg yolk has to contain all the nutrients and enough fuel to grow a baby chicken. Okay, so it has to have things to be able to make eyes and feathers and um, a digestive system and claws and all, all these, you know, everything that would be needed and especially a brain. There has to be a brain. And this all has to be built from scratch. So all the ingredients, because nothing can be added in, have to be present in that yolk. All right, so the yolk came, let's just say we're talking about chicken, okay, a, a chick and a chicken. So the, the, the egg came from a chicken. So what is in that egg, particularly the egg yolk? So it has to become, from, become a product of those building blocks that the chicken ate. So a chicken that is running around and scratching the ground and eating a wide variety of insects and being able to pick at, you know, different kinds of grasses and things like that, which they will do, is going to be eating a wider variety of food and it will have more varied and much more likely, um, you know, ticking off all the boxes of all the nutrients that would be needed. So that, that egg yolk, if we were to eat it, you know, for ourselves in a scrambled egg, for example, that would have more nutritional value to us because of what the chicken ate that when then was able to go into the egg. Because most of the eggs we will get will look exactly the same as that egg that is pastured chicken or, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily cage-free, but just pastured, particularly be able to eat bugs and things. And when I say that is... Remember, if we're thinking about this in terms of building a healthy brain, which is a little bit complicated to add in right now, but that's how I help people choose is, is it good for your brain, is you can realize that if the chicken was eating bugs, well, bugs are animals and they have little, little tiny brains, but still have that, that they have those valuable brain building nutrients in their body. So when the chicken eats them, the building blocks they will be able to have building blocks that are brain building blocks. If the chicken just eats corn and then these additives, then it will, the egg will look the same and it will taste quite similar because we have taste and, you know, it didn't used to taste as similar, but now we have these taste enhancing things. So even if it doesn't taste quite the same, our nervous system thinks it tastes quite delicious. 
So we choose it. So you can look at something and they can look the same. They can be the same. They're both a chicken egg. And one chicken egg is likely to have nutrients in them that the other doesn't. But people would say, well, I take a vitamin pill and it covers all the things that would be in the healthier egg. And that is absolutely true. However, inside of our body, our bodies are designed to use you know, that's one of the things that comes from the food that we eat is we have certain kinds of helpers in our digestive system. I mean, basically, yeah. the inside of our digestive system is like a big processing plant. Yeah. So, Teresa, can I so, actually jump in here? Because I have a few thoughts just before you lead into that. One thing I've two or three thoughts, actually, that I'd like you to clarify on. One thing here about the chickens that's interesting. I'm not sure if it's the same in America, but here in Ireland, where, where I am, you can actually notice a difference between the yolks of the chickens who have a different diet. So maybe that would indicate differences in the the micronutrients or the what is actually in the yolk. For example, if you do have a pasture chicken, as you said, who's free roaming, out eating the bugs and the insects, their yolk is usually darker. It take the consistency is a little bit thicker. It's just, it's just different. It tastes a little bit different. Whereas if you have a general commercialized yolk, it may be a little bit lighter in color. It looks different. The consistency is different. So there is a little bit of difference there that you can actually see and taste, which is interesting. But that's not, a, that's not the point I actually wanted to make. I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to ask about an example you gave me, or can't remember when you did it, probably in one of your food seminars many years ago. And you were explaining this concept of, you started this off maybe 10 minutes ago, where you're explaining how the different species of animals have different digestive systems and they're evolved a certain way within the earth to take energy from the earth and then to create their food from that. And the example I can remember that I thought was brilliant was cows. And I think you were explaining, I'm not sure whether there's four or six or how many chambers that a cow has in their stomach and then they eat the grass and then they're able to take that grass and put it through their digestive system and actually transform that via a certain bacterial way or fermentation or however they do it into fatty acids and different nutrients for their body. So that to me was such a great example of how food on the outside is different than what it becomes on the inside based upon your digestive process and how that was evolved with the earth and the food on the earth so i just wanted to bring that up was that is that clear is that correct and how does that feed into humans um well those actually can be related in a certain way right so let's start with the one you just asked about the cows which Mm. is cows are herbivores you know, they graze, they eat grasses, leaves, grasses. These, these are vegetation. Humans can't, humans can't uh, live off of that. We don't eat vegetation. We eat vegetables, which is a very different thing than vegetation. The animals that eat vegetation, leaves and grasses, they need help from bacteria. So unless their body is built in a, in a way that their digestive system contains a large fermentation vat to change that vegetation, the fiber in it actually, in, into something that's a usable for them to use to nourish their bodies, 
that's why we can't eat the same diet that they can. We do not have that fermentation vat that, mm. you know, all the hoofed mm. animals, for example, would have. So grass, so we, grass we isn't a food for us, but it is a food for cows. This is basically, yeah. yeah, so basically what I'm trying to, this, I'm trying to get back to this point of what is food. So why is, why is that? You mentioned the digestive system or, yeah, I'm just trying to get my head around what is food. Okay, so, so could grass be food? Mm. But, you know, you're saying is grass food for yeah. humans? Yes. Yes, but it's useless food, okay? It was once alive, yeah. but it's mostly fiber. So we can't eat a diet that's, you know, mostly fiber to the exclusion of other things because no animals digest fiber. Bacteria digest fiber. Okay. So you have to have a fermentation vat inside you to convert fiber into something. So in its own way, it's parallel to the plant that's able to convert the energy that way without the help of those bacteria. And the bacteria have to have a certain area to live in. And there have to be a lot of them to be able to extract this because they can't digest fiber. So grass is food. And, you know, um, a, a, one of my interests in getting involved in food was to study food in Ireland and and about the history. And that was a big thing that happened during the famine was that people ate grass and they kill them yeah. because it's not food for humans. As I said, the differences between animals are usually are related to what would be their diet or what would be their food choices in the environment in which they live. Human beings are quite different than the other animals in that we can survive and thrive in a number of different environments. And one of the reasons that we are able to do that is we're able to manipulate food so that it is more nourishing for us. So another thing that wouldn't be food for us is a potato in the ground. So if you dig up a potato and you eat it, you can't digest it. But if you cook it, then now it is very usable. So it's food when it's in the ground. It's food when it's in the mashed potatoes on your plate. But one is a usable form of food and the other isn't. So mostly people would say is food is can I use it? I prefer to start with food is something that was once alive. Yes, but it's also okay? species specific. Very much. And so we need to take the next step and go, well, if it was once alive, so that it's food, is how well can it nourish us? And that's when I say is that you go to these, you know, three basic things is um, building blocks, fuel, and rubbish or toxins is, you know, I just call it rubbish because it's easier to explain because people have all these ideas with toxins, toxins or poisons, toxins, you, you know, those are generally true. But to me, rubbish is something that your body thinks it might need. But once it gets inside your body, they say, oh, actually, we can't use this at all. This is useless. It can't be converted into a fuel or a building block. So at that point, it has to be ejected again. So the rubbish has to find its way back through using your liver and kidneys and things like that to be excreted. And if you have a buildup of rubbish in your body, you're going to have other toxic effects of that, which is, you know, not necessarily poison. And we all have a certain amount of toxins at all times and our bodies are designed to handle a certain load of it, but we can easily overload the system. And the problem with highly processed foods is that they might look the same, 
and they end up having not too many building blocks and a lot more rubbish than the food in its most ideal state. So now let's go back one step again to your comment about the eggs. Mm. That is mm. true. You That is how we become a smart shopper. But again, that's going to be all the way to the end. And And those eggs, you can see the difference, you can taste the difference, especially when your brain is educated to start to look for those differences. You yeah. can make better choices. You can also know the person and where the chickens came from, and that would be a help. How, however, the more we manipulate the food, the less able our, our brains are able to tell if it's a healthy choice or not. So this is what yes. I mean by food being adulterated and marketed. Okay, so a sticker on food makes it seem like a healthy choice because our brain is looking for these healthy choices. So if the egg is if the chickens are fed corn, but then they're given an additive to make the yolks look more yellow, you might go, oh, those are absolutely beautiful. Look at those beautiful yellow yolks. And that would trick our brain because our brain would be looking for a yellow. You know, that would be an indication of quality. But actually, it's a bit of a fooler. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Okay. Yes. The other thing is a lot of people don't eat eggs. You know, they don't crack it open and eat like a poached egg or a fried egg where they see the yellow and the white and things like that, that they eat eggs in things. And when they're in things, they're disguised. So someone else might have used very inferior eggs, but it would be very difficult for you to know the difference at that point. You say, oh, well, I gave you these great eggs and said, bake me a cake. You know, I mean, it's probably not a great idea to use cake, is that? But here, here's three eggs. You know, make me a cake, and then those three eggs that came from a chicken that you went to all the trouble. You know, that would have been the most healthy thing in the cake for sure. And then in the kitchen, the cook swaps out and says, "I'm taking these home and eating these good eggs myself," and puts in, you know, an egg that is. You won't be able to. It becomes very hard to tell the difference in the, the quality of these ingredients. So the more processed, the more packaged, the more appetized, the more marketed, the more difficult it is for us to overcome assumptions that our brain makes. And why is this so prevalent? Well, because it's pretty easy to study how our brains work, and then marketing is directed towards that. And you can't change this by saying food shouldn't be marketed because then people just come up with a new way of marketing it. You, it just is, you know, you destroy one thing and then another one pops up. And that's why I'm saying it's not bad. We're talking about better choices um, and better timing and better value and things like that. Understanding what food is from its basics help us to make better choices. I mean, that's really what this is all about. And we're also making assumptions because we're human beings is – we're not always going to make great choices and that's okay because we're, you know, we, we have that built in as well. And I'm going to throw this in right now just because it seems to fit. So the sense that we have a food of like craving and deliciousness and um, the, the word that scientists use for this, and I think it works very well, is that a lot of the food we eat now is what we would call hedonic food. It, hedonic means it's really like a drug. It hits those buttons in us that are um, like it was a drug. It makes us feel really good, really satisfied, creates a lot of cravings. We don't have to be taught to like them. Sugar is very hedonic. So you can put sugar on basically 
you know, a lot of things for children, especially, and they will like it just because it has that sweet taste on top of it. In nature, sugar would have been relatively rare, but we want it and we need it because our, our body would go to seek out sugar because it would be present in that first fruit of the season, which would also contain a lot of other valuable building blocks yeah. in terms of antioxidants and um, vitamins and things like that. So, you know, the, a, a berry doesn't have, have a vitamin pill in it. it, but it does have things, these things we don't even understand yet, but the, they would be present for a very short time of the year. And that hedonic nature is what motivates us to go and seek it out. But it's very hard for us to have it always be present and be motivated to seek it out. That's what we see in drug seeking behavior is food is always available, any kind of food you want, and especially these very hedonic craveable foods, because you can take a very cheap starch fuel and you can basically put, uh, you know, which people would never eat a lot of, you know, you know, these starches are the fuel backbone of many, many cultures like corn mash and oatmeal and bread and potatoes with nothing else on them. Okay. You don't want to just keep eating and eating that bland, tasteless, goopy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you eat as much as you need for fuel and then you won't overeat it because it isn't hedonic at all. It's not delicious. But when you take those things and you add hedonic elements to them, either natural ones or chemical ones, we eat and eat and eat these bland fuel foods more than anything mm -hmm. because they just are, they just zing our nervous system so much. So they're really, you know, I, it's very hard, but you have to start thinking of things that work for you is, is like, it's actually like people would joke, you know, use like you have poop with frosting on it. You know, <laughs> it, it it's not you have to start looking at those foods that are marketed to you in this way. You, you have to come up with uh, when making choices, you have to come up with what works for you to say, yes, I am aware that they're disguising this food. And so I'm not going to make this choice because once it's there, I'll eat it anyway, okay. because my, my brain will keep saying it's candy, it's candy, it's candy. You know, it's delicious. It's a drug. It's hedonic. Yeah. So, so, so when we're making these food choices, as I said, as we start with something that was once alive, then you say, okay, it was once alive. What was it when it was alive and what has happened to it since it was alive? And when it was alive, what did your food you know, because all the, this food is recycled over and over. What was the food of your food? Okay, so even if it was plants, like did it grow in a place where the soil would have a lot of nutrients in it? Probably not. Um, and that's okay. But you just, we just have to keep that in mind as if our body needs nourishment, then our brain might tell us to keep seeking out food and and really motivate us to overeat because the food that we're eating does not contain the nourishment that that recipe book inside of us tells us it should expect. It, it, it's saying when you have an egg, it should be from this chicken that's running around and eating bugs and things like that and has, you know, brain building nutrients and things like that. And it doesn't. Yeah. So, so can so I jump in here, Tracy, because can I jump in here? Because I think this is a really contentious point from 
pretty much everyone in terms of food and diet and what we should actually be eating. There are, as you know and everyone knows, hundreds if not thousands of different diets. Vegans, vegetarians, paleo, carnivore diet, all types of diets out there. So this is probably a difficult question, but I think it's one that will help certainly me and other people as well try to understand what is food. So we've gone through food was once alive and then we've gone through Food is also species specific, so we've kind of talked a little bit about how humans aren't really designed to eat grass, vegetation. So the question I have then is, and we'll get to the modern world, but of course humans haven't evolved, so we can't really say the modern world is different, but humans aren't different. But my question is, what is a species specific diet? for a human you mentioned in the summertime when there's berries we're really attracted to the, to the sugar and the hedonic taste so i assume that would fit into a natural human diet what are the other elements of a human diet because i think that would help us as a starting point well okay the, a really important point here is to go back to hedonic for example the berries okay. berries are only hedonic in a world where you, there isn't all this abundant extra sugar that you can put on things. So then quickly, like any drug, you develop a tolerance, and berries do not seem sweet compared to candy. So people might love the taste of them because they sort of train their nervous system to be discriminating again, and they're looking for the other flavors that aren't just the sugar that's there. So sugar you don't have to be trained to like, but coffee you do have to be trained to like so your nervous system will start to go around and categorize things um uh, and a perfect example of that would be chocolate so chocolate in its natural state you would not you know um no even adults don't want to eat it like that but children don't even like more sweetened chocolate a lot of times because they haven't developed a taste for more of a complex flavor to food. So, you know, milk and sugar and things like that are added. And the more milk and sugar that's added to it, just like, you know, because chocolate's bitter, like coffee is, oh, it's getting more and more delicious. And then as you say, oh, I actually like that little bitter bit that's in there, you can pull back on the milk and sugar that, you know, mask those flavors, because you develop more sophisticated tasting buds but we're not anywhere close to being there yet right now we're looking as like how do i start making decisions for myself and for my family about you know choosing food that will help me have a nourished body can we just kind of start at that point because yeah, all yeah. these other things are more are, are they're all there and well, we can talk about them and we'll talk about them again and again but at its base Human beings are able to live in a wide variety of environments so we can use many different foods and prepare them. And we've learned to do that. And we have culture that's helped us to do that so that we can extract, make available. So basically using our brain, we have, act, we have actually extended our digestive system outside of our body. And I'll, again, go back to one of those yes. things that I said is – a potato, okay? So a potato that you dig out of the ground, you can eat it, but it will not nourish you because you cannot digest it inside your body uncooked. But in the outside of your body, you can cook it. And once you've yes. cooked it, it is now available. And if you eat a cooked potato, you can eat it. We talked about the cows and all these animals. They have um, 
bacteria's special areas within their gut, either in their large intestine or their stomach, where there's many, many bacteria, and they ferment the fiber. Well, we can do that too. That's what sauerkraut is. So we can ferment food by, you know, we do it with bread and yeasts and things like that. Yes. Those are not present. There's no bread tree. Well, there is, but it does, you know, makes bread fruit, but it's not bread. Like, you have to make bread. What is bread? It takes grain, wheat grains, which we cannot digest, turns them into something that we can uh, digest and is actually has a, is a great source of fuel. So, but that doesn't occur inside of our body. No amount of chewing of a you know kernel of wheat is going to make it digestible. No amount of pulverizing it is going to make it digestible. We have to, um, but there's a lot of things that you can do with something that was once alive that we've learned through culture to make it more available to our body to become nourished. So I'm just saying this is not a straightforward or easy path. Yeah. I just want everyone to start off saying, if you look at food and say, okay, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to eat this and it's food because the package says it's food or I know it's food because I've eaten it before or whatever it is. If you look at it in this new way, this is a perspective. You turn around, you look, it's like, okay, this is food. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? And when you trace that back, it's not time consuming. Once you start to do it, you start eating things that were closer to the state when they were alive, because doesn't yeah. it make sense that living things are closer to in their composition to what would be present in our bodies? Yeah, hundred percent. But another thing that I'm, that I just learned here today is this species specific thing. I kind of had an idea of it, but it's helping me really understand how to choose food better so if i'm in the supermarket and i'm looking well that's not even a good example but that's kind of where we get our food now but if i'm choosing food i obviously want to know when was it alive what stage was it when was it wasn't one alive and you know go through that process but i also need to go through a process is and maybe this isn't the correct way of saying it is this a species specific or appropriate food for me and as a human that would be for me so for example the cows, the grass would be a species specific. They can get everything they need from grass and water. And obviously when they're growing, they need the milk from mum to to build whatever they need to get to a certain stage. And then they have the sustenance after that from the grass and water and whatever else they eat and vegetation. But for humans then, do we have an equivalent of grass? Is there a potato or a different vegetable? Is there something that we can just eat to get all of our fuel and our building blocks or what do we actually need in food to get this food uh, fuel and building blocks that you're talking about? Well, no, we can't. We, you know, if you needed everything that you would need, the only food that would have, you know, all of those things would be, I guess, another person, and you could eat that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So let's um let's let's go back to um. All right. What makes a human being different than the other animals is an extremely large brain. Okay. And, and brains are very costly in nature in terms of needing special building blocks that tend to be rare and also fuel. And it ha the fuel has to be constant. So as I said before, one of the reasons we have these fat stores on our body is 
Fat is just stored fuel. Like you can tap into it. It's like, you know, having a reservoir of fuel is always there to be needed. I mean, to be used if needed. So we have a, a dual fuel tank. We, we can store uh, fat on our body and then we can extract some like sugars and things like that out of what we just ate two seconds ago, like candy or, or whatever. There's uh, and so these are things that we'll go into about making choices towards how to restore your fuel tanks to make sure that your body can keep running. But in nature, we're starting off with this huge brain, which would never have evolved without some trade-off. So what's the trade-off? Well, we have a big brain, and that brain is supposed to be used to help find food and make the food more nutrient available to us. So we're we're built to be phenomenal foragers, to choose. And if things aren't really ready to be used as food, we can change them outside of our body so that they are ready to be used as food. Now, for other animals, they look the way they do and they eat the way they do and they are drawn to certain foods because that is programmed into their body. So if we take a cow the cow can, is going to graze grass and maybe eat some vegetation and leaves that are around the edges to pick up up some other things. So you have a cow out there eating grass, eating chomping, chomping, chomping away, eating the grass, and there's a dead mouse in the grass. The cow will not eat the dead mouse. Even if the mouse just died like one second ago and the mouse is full of all these really good um, you know, potential nutrients for the cow – you cannot feed that mouse. The cow will not eat the mouse. It will just keep eating the grass all around it. But if you keep the cow in a feedlot and we're feeding it, um, they eat basically corn, which is seeds from grass. And it's very has a lot of concentration of um, you know fuel so they don't have to eat all day long. You can you, They don't eat all day long. They just stand around and they eat a little bit instead of walk around eating grass so you can keep a cow alive like that and in fact you can do things like ground grind up the mice and throw it in the food and the cow will still eat it if that's the food that they've you know been taught to eat which is the grain uh so you've you've you know when things are hungry, any animals when they're hungry they will often choose foods that they wouldn't have chose chosen if they weren't hungry so um in, is the mouse a, nut, a nutrient for a cow? Yeah, the, that ground-up mouse will, the cow will actually use some of those nutrients. But in nature, only humans were have this trade-off by having a big brain and be in the different environments. So nature did not give cows a big brain and a way to learn how to cook food and share food and do a, grow food, all these things that humans can do. Nature just said, eat the grass, don't eat the mouse. Yeah. Because, you know, you won't be able to digest the mouse because, you know, you'll get some, but they, there's really no need. And you might be saying, well, why not, Teresa? And it's like, because they have this great big, you know, they're, they have a process. The food goes forward and backwards. They're ruminants like they it moves around these chambers of the stomach and it doesn't move through the digestive system. There's an order, there's hormones, there's processing chemicals, there's um, uh, a whole system of, you know, basically escorting nutrients from in out, you know, from inside the digestive tract 
to inside the body and in, and then into the cells. And those are all designed in a cow to eat grass. They just didn't put in all yes. the extra stuff. Yes, because I, it would be it would be unnecessary. We don't have one animal that can do everything. We have all these different kind of animals that evolved in environments that were, you know, basically they create a web or a network where the food recycles itself in between all of the animals and into the soil and includes the bacteria and the plants, all those living things at that point because they're just converting fuel and nutrients you know, and exchanging it between each other. So, so we understand that from a biological point of view and um, we speak about it because it helps us have a framework to understand what humans do, but humans are quite different because we, our brains are designed to make a lot of things that wouldn't be food. You know, I, I, that I misspoke that they're food, but we wouldn't be able to utilize them. We can change them. Yeah, I'm and still, get, I'm still and not hunt, gather yes. and all of those things. I'm still not a hundred percent crazy, but I think I'm closer now in understanding this, especially when it comes to the brain. You mentioned near the beginning of this about humans don't eat vegetation; they eat vegetables. So in yes. this process of me trying to understand what is food, and not only what is food, but what is a species specific diet for humans in terms of fuel and building blocks let's just focus in on vegetables the cows can eat grass and they get everything they need from grass if i am a human and i eat just vegetables is that a species specific diet will i survive and thrive on that as i said i'm just trying to figure out what i actually need as a basis and then i can go from there um well again this would go to a whole different talk and perhaps for, and it's, it's like on on being a vegan which no, is no a, that's not what i'm asking course. i'm not really asking i don't want to go into anything like that i'm trying to figure out how to ask the correct question i think i'm just a little bit stuck in terms of my uh, ability to ask the correct question so let me try again in terms of fuel and building blocks i'm still not sure on what i need in my food can I just eat a potato? Will if I just have a diet of potatoes, will that give me all of the fuel and building blocks that I need, or are there other things? Is there another food that I need to um to be sorry? The word you use is nourished, so that's the word I want to stick on. What building blocks in terms of if I look at just foods, what foods do I need to be nourished? And you don't don't go into this to specific foods. But is it just a potato? Do I need just vegetables? Do I need a variety of different foods? Kind of that's kind of the type of question I'm trying to ask. Well, it's it. I I understand, but that's what that's why we're trying to get a basic framework here mm -hmm. because any or all of those things can be true, which is why people argue so much. Okay. Okay. So it's not clear. So you can't eat just potatoes, but you can eat almost just potatoes. And survive and thrive. That is what happened in Ireland before the potato famine. Okay. They okay. ate pounds and pounds of potatoes. So, you know, mostly people are familiar with a nutrient that we call vitamin C. Okay. So, you yes. know, oh, if you don't have vitamin C, uh, you're not healthy and you could get sick. The sickness of a deficiency of vitamin C is called scurvy. 
Now, in the natural world, most animals make their own vitamin C, again, with the help of those bacteria and things like that. Humans do not make their own vitamin C. They have to get it from their diet. Now, yeah. potatoes are not really high in vitamin C. But if you eat pounds and pounds of them, you get plenty of vitamin C from your potatoes. So one of the things that we didn't really, we thought all the people in Ireland and the famine, they died of starvation, which basically they're talking about is they did not have enough fuel. So if you look at a disease, anorexia nervosa, that self-starvation, it's basically lack of fuel and calories. And, you know, you become emaciated and you, 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 your body does not have enough fuel to run itself. That is what happened in Ireland, we thought, to everybody is that they all starved because there wasn't enough food. But we know now by looking that there are actually quite a few of them that died of scurvy, which was of a nutrient deficiency even before the starvation killed them because of the, no potatoes being available or such a small amount that they no longer were able to, you know, have adequate vitamin C. They got scurvy and that'll kill you pretty fast. So the, um, and also, you know, when you're poorly nourished, you're very susceptible to diseases and things like that. So there's more than one factor as we go through these. So is a potato, you know, enough? Mm -hmm. No, but a potato, which has a lot of fuel in it would be, all the fuel that you would need, and you might need just a little bit of extra nutrients. So the people in Ireland were very poor, and they people would say, oh, they just ate potatoes. But they didn't eat just potatoes. They ate mostly potatoes and a lot of them. And they had little bits of like foraging of herbs and things like that, maybe the berries, as I said, that are seasonal. And then they would have maybe some animal products that were added in, like butter or, you know, a bit of pork or blood is was used very much to make these puddings where they would, you know, put this in. And the, you know, blood is very nourishing. A little bit goes a long way. And then that actually, the little bit of green, the little bit of berries, a little bit of the protein, yes. all of those go together. And that was enough. Yes, this actually leads so me it to. It was 95% potatoes. Yes. Now, potatoes would be a fuel food. Right. Yes. So let's like just jump right across the English Channel. Very close. There's not potatoes in England at that time. And, you know, at the time when the famine was occurred. So at the same time and, you know, people can look back and they mostly know the Scrooge story of Christmas Carol. And um, mm-hmm. so they can think in their mind, like, what did it look like then? Everybody's all wrapped up in things and they have, you know, scarves and mittens and, you know, they're all covered up. And then, you know, I've been asked by my nieces and nephews, you know, what was wrong with Tiny Tim? He rode around, he's crippled. And I said, well, he probably, he had probably had rickets and tuberculosis and malnourishment because bread is not as nourishing as potatoes. So potatoes have more nutrients in them, even though they're not completely adequate. The potato was a better starch food than the wheat. Okay, and the other thing is when people are poor, they put other things in their bread that are not food at all. For example, those are not food, but they can make a they bulk up the volume and fill your stomach. So your 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 eyes think it's food. Your mouth thinks it's food. 
but your body knows there was not the food. It was gypped by, you know, it was Chris, you locked out there for 10 seconds. Repeat that. What is not food? I didn't quite catch that. The, the additives that might have been added to bread oh, okay, so that yes. it would still be big and make it look like a big portion of bread. Okay. But instead of wheat, okay. it might have dirt or ashes, you know, things that grasses or things, you know, things mm. to increase the bulk of it so mm. that you filled your stomach. But you're you, you know, that was just a trick to your brain because it filled your stomach, but there was nothing in there that yeah. could be used as either fuel or a building block. Teresa, I want to jump in here because I'm getting close, but I'm still not there. Now, I understand everything you said in terms of fuel. But maybe 15 minutes ago, we started this off by talking about the brain. And that kind of gave me a little bit of a flashbulb and that that made a lot of sense in terms of species-specific. Humans are different than all, all other animals. We have this big brain. And perhaps that has something to do with our need for specific building blocks. So again... I'm trying to figure out, just as a basis, what I should be thinking about eating um, once I go through this process of food is alive, food species specific, and then I need to be thinking, how well can this food nourish me or nourish my offspring, nourish the baby that I'm growing inside of me, you know, what I actually need. So if we just think about it or talk about it in terms of the brain, what are the specific things if I'm just uh, that I need to eat for a human brain that's different than other animals? Are there, you know, how do I go through that process of thinking about which choose which foods to choose when I'm thinking in that frame of mind? Okay, so I believe the best way of of you know giving you a guideline for making choices yeah. for food is to move away from what people are used to, which is a heart-healthy diet yes. to a brain-healthy diet. Okay, that makes because a sense. Because if you eat for your brain, your heart will benefit immensely anyway, but brains require things that hearts don't. Hearts really are, you know, basically a muscle. Um, yeah. With, you know, a few other things are different than the muscle, like your bicep or whatever, but uh, we eat well for our heart because we understand that a bad diet causes heart disease. Now, this is where we get into this problem or the words of the wellness and health and illness. So we know that if people have, um, they have heart disease, then making changes in your diet can bring you, make your heart healthier. Yeah. Okay. But if you eat for your brain, your heart and your brain will be well. So it's instead of taking the end approach, which is to undo damage, then if we start with how do we do this, then your heart is not going to get problems from disease if you eat well for your brain. And, and so, again, I'm just going to say human beings need to eat for their brain because their brain is what makes them human. Yes. And their brain that makes them human is very costly and the trade-off in nature was we were supposed to be using our brains to make better choices about our food yes so we are doing that okay we are eating in many ways we're, we're, we're we've we've tricked our brain so we start to read labels and things like that as they go through because all of a sudden we live in you know what I usually call the mushroom field. Okay, there is 
it takes time to know which ones you can eat and which ones you shouldn't eat. So we are living in this world of choices where all these things that appear to be food, nourishing food, desirable food, they make us hungry, we crave them. And we respond to that thinking that nature made us, you know, made our bodies intelligent. Yes. And this is often brought up. And I actually think this would be a good place. It, 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 it's, it's food for thought right now. I'd like to just go through is that food is, was once alive. It's food can be present in many forms. Food goes, you know, we eat food, but it still needs to be processed. And, it, and our end result that we're looking for is how do we get a nourished body? So we yes. can use our brains to make choices about what we put in our mouth to start with. But at the first thing we need to do is to understand what we would choose. And a lot of people espouse diets where they go, well, you need to trust your instincts. And they use uh, an experiment, a very famous experiment, where they, when children um, were able to make free choice, they chose the right foods. But they never say in the experiment that the children were only allowed, you know, they were given a wide variety of choices, all of which were healthy. So they were all food, good food, quality food. So what by following your body's instincts, you might eat the same thing every day, or you might say, oh, I only want to eat yogurt once every two weeks, and then I would eat the yogurt, that they saw ch different children making different choices, and they were all healthy by choosing and listening to their body. Well, I don't want to listen to my body because my body's been tricked now. Yeah, yeah. And, but the real reason I don't want to listen to my body is that the not only is my body tricked, is that the world out there is full of all these things that my brain would think are nourishing food that are not. Okay. Yes. So if I only had choices of things that were nourishing, my body probably would steer me. You need a little more vitamin C right now. You need a little more protein right now, but only if the choices available were limited and all of them have good nourishment within them. And all of them would contain what my brain and nervous system would hormonally have responded to, oh, if you eat this piece of fruit, this is what's going to be in it. And I'm going to, you know, give you the right digestive juices and hormones to make the best use out of it possible. We don't live in that world. The world is full of all these things that look like they would be good for us, but they are, and, and, and we're human. So we like to go, oh, so if it's not good for us, it's bad for us. No, they look like they would be good for us, but they're merely adequate or slightly yeah. inadequate. They are not high value. And and the, nothing more than that comes from um, animal products. So we'll go through this. You know, it has to have been alive. So are we have the appropriate things in our digestive system to be able to utilize animals and animal products, milk, eggs, milk made into other forms like cheese and all these things. Those are animal products. And also then we have animals. Are we eating animals? No, we know we can eat animals and all we're eating is muscle meats from animals. So you don't get liver nutrients from eating muscles. You get liver nutrients from eating yeah. liver. So since animal products are in nature rarer, they have a much higher density of bodybuilding 
you know, the, the building blocks that we would need. So per bite, you have more building blocks in it, but they're rarer and harder to get yeah. and valuable. You don't need as much of them. So people are going through and they're just getting their balance way off. So at the end, we, you know, of this, as we go through is, can you make smart choices? Absolutely you can, but you're not that child that is having just a, a, this great diet that's put in front of you where you can respond to your body. You have a grocery store where there's all these, everything that's filled with food, re restaurants, takeout, 24-7, no, no, it's, it's overwhelming even for a human being. And you can nourish yourself, but you might not be well nourished. And what we are seeing very commonly is that you may have adequate building blocks or you may have inadequate building blocks. But most people are overfueled for two reasons. One, they don't need all the fuel because also our big brains have made us have a decreased need for fuel. We don't work. We don't walk. We don't we live in homes. We don't need to keep our body temperature up. All of those things would have. Um, needed more fuel to stay alive, you know, because you burn off more. And I'm not just talking about from exercise, even in keeping warm. We have clothing, we have heating. So we do not need the amount of fuel that our body often says to get more fuel. But packaged along with fuel is often building blocks too. So our brain is going to keep stimulating us and also we have all these hedonic things that are built in, which are usually just fuel. And the word that we use to describe that, that most people talk about commonly, is empty calories. Yeah. Calories are fuel. Empty means there's nothing but calories in this. But I also would say they're worse than empty because usually empty calories are have chemicals. So they, it is actually not empty. Yeah, so yeah. it is not just straight fuel, like a potato with nothing else on it that's cooked. That's yeah. fuel. Yes. But, you know, we add things to, um, you know, and we fry them and make them into, you know, French fries at McDonald's. That is not the same as yeah. a potato. Yeah. So I think that just because, you know, it's like a big meal, right? Just to even process this part here, that the first talk about food really should be in the lines of we have to rethink, take a few steps back. So when we make our food choices, that we start from a slightly different perspective. Instead of allowing our brains to be manipulated by the marketing and things like that, we yeah. need to unwrap it. And they aren't going to unwrap it for us. So we have to unwrap it for ourselves. It's not hard. You just take a few steps back and you go, okay, is this few, you know, is this food? Yeah, obviously I want to eat it. It's probably food then. But then you can start to say is like, you know, how would this benefit me? Yes. And is it what it seems? And that's the big thing that we're saying right now is, is what you're ready, you know, getting ready to put in your mouth. Is it what it seems to your, you know, you, you know, your brain categorizes it, but once it's inside your body, are they, you know, and they break it down and break it down into those building blocks and fuel, is it going to turn out to be the same as you would thought when you were attracted to it? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we can make better choices and eventually we make better choices. So women who eat well for their brain 
are going to be have be well nourished for everything that they need. They'll be heart healthy. They'll have reproductive success. You know, all these things that we want, and they won't be overly fat. Yeah. And so the flip side is then they're very concerned, as I said, about are their children being well nourished and this ends up being marketed to do is adding other things in if you eat good food you don't need other things added in so supplements are not substitutes you can't live off of those so and we have a very much an idea that you can magically create something in a pill form and our brains you know, we like to think, oh, well, we're smart. Well, we are smart, but we're also fanciful and imaginative. So we do, you know, we can listen to a story like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and think someone could eat a meal by chewing a stick of gum. That just doesn't happen. But there's a part of our brain that is very comfortable with that idea. So when we're aware that this is how our brain works, this is how our brain looks at the world, just like every animal that, you know, eat and don't get eaten. Yeah. So we eat and we have to understand what our natural drives are and why we would have those and how we can work with them and not be tricked. Yeah, that's brilliant, Teresa. I, I think this is a good point to actually try and wrap up this particular part of the segment on food. And I'm going to try and create a little summary here that I want you to bring me back to the actual correct points. But today, what I think we definitely covered was in terms of getting started on thinking about food was the first thing that we want to think about is was this food alive when was it alive what was it that's the type of first thing that you want to think about because food needs to be alive and humans are animals and animals need to eat food we need to eat food for fuel and building blocks we can't make our own food like plants can do so that's the first thing that we want to think about. The second thing, which I actually don't think is important now, I had written down that food is species specific. Maybe that's not so important to think about now. It has helped me certainly in the past and certainly redefine it now in this episode. That kind of has helped me to think that way, but perhaps that isn't an important point. I think the real point that I got from this certainly, and hopefully others did too, was a way to think about food is to think about eating for your brain because when you eat for your brain that kind of takes care of all of the other areas uh, of your body a lot of a lot of the time we're thinking about our heart you mentioned there a few minutes ago that we used to eat all the animal and now we're eating just the muscle meat of the animal I there was something that I think I'm sure it was you that said it I'm not actually I can't quite remember what it was but it was something like um, an animal liver is closer than a human liver than a cabbage is to a liver or, so, or something like that and I just made me laugh because to, to me that kind of makes a lot of sense that it's a little bit harder to make a liver out of a cabbage <laughs> yes you, you can't make a liver out of a cat exactly and and basically like a liver from any animal is quite similar to our own liver. So yeah. livers have in them, and you know, I think we should at one point do a whole talk on liver, which is a really interesting food, but it also is a very interesting organ in our whole body yes. that ties together everything. But, you know, I think that the liver should kind of come at the end. So this is That's what I mean true. is if we start off with food was alive, at one point we kids go like, now let's look at liver. And liver answers a lot of 
questions, yes, including to is like why we don't like to eat liver. And so about food yes. likings and dislikings and what we can do to learn to like liver and whether we should learn to like liver or not. Like what are the benefits? And that's by having us go back and say, what are we eating for? That's really yes. what is helpful. Yes. So when we eat for our brain, then we understand that is extremely species specific. Yes. We have an extremely large brain compared to other animals for our body size. So we evolved this brain and we can go back and we know very clearly there was a time in history where human brain growth exploded and it exploded because of access to certain foods and nutrients that allowed the expansion of the brain to take place and become incorporated into our evolutionary process. So when I say humans, not modern day humans, not homo sapiens, which are the only now living humans, but there were other other kinds of humans like Neanderthals are humans and there's no Neanderthals left. But humans are a bigger group than the ones that we look around. And many of the humans that are no longer on the planet, a lot of them had pretty, you know, they had much smaller brains for the size of their body than the modern day human. Mm -hmm. So that took place in this fertile crescent in Africa where the access to certain kinds of foods that were very high in brain building, um, brain building blocks that those were present. And also the way that we acquire food, it became very easy to incorporate those into our diet, but it still took a very long time. Now, the important thing to remember for this is when you eat for your brain, human beings have these fat stores in our body. And we're going to keep coming back to this because people do not understand this at all, that we, we might not look fat, you know, that all human beings are fat, even the ones to us that look lean and thin compared to other animals, because we can store fat on our body so that we don't have to eat all the time. And our brain has to have nutrients all the time. It's using, even when we're sleeping, a huge amount of calories if that we're going to use that. So it needs fuel and it needs fuel constantly. And our brains wouldn't survive unless along with our big brain, we also have these um, storage form for, for fuel for the brain that will constantly be needing that. But that is where we end up overfueling because nature made those fat stores very important and they're very protected from being, you know, wasted and things like that. So we, when we eat for our brain, not only are we getting the pro appropriate amount of um, building blocks, we are also training our body and our hormones and, and, and avoiding things that trick our body into overfueling and creating a lot more fat than our brain would ever be able to use. So we do answer those questions as to far as, you know, I'm, that's great that I could eat for my brain, but um, you know, I don't want to be fat. And you, as far as your brain's concerned, your brain does want you to be fat. So if you understand that from the very beginning, you can make better choices because your brain does want you to be fat but you can still eat well for your brain and be normal because it, it all has to do with the appropriate appetites of, and, and yes. we have that 
you know, as we've talked about before, and again, a whole t- a topic of what I call asthma of the appetite. Yes. So, you know, that we, uh, 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 so for our brain, you know, as you look, remember we talked about that cow as we went, and they don't just graze, they graze all day long, all their waking hours. And even our closest, um, our closest relatives, um, evolutionarily, so those are the apes, the great apes, and they eat all day long. So we do not eat all day long. We eat, inter- you know, we are designed to be able to eat intermittently, to eat meals, and that is provided for in our hormones and sharing. Like a lot of those things go into that. And the, one of the reasons we can do that is because we, even though our brain needs to eat constantly, and it's a much bigger brain, the fat stores are supposed to be there to be supplying, you know, uh, like the snorkel effect of a continuous flow of fuel so that you don't have to eat all the time, even though your brain needs fuel all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's perfect. No, I really think that was great, Teresa. And just kind of finishing up what you said there about kind of wrapping up in regards to the brain, just as a starting point, like obviously this topic needs to be really a couple of different episodes it's a lot more expansive but i think we nailed down at least for me anyway i mean obviously there's a lot of other people listening through and they may have different perspectives on the best way to think about it but for me it seems as though number one understanding that we're human okay and what makes us different so we understand what makes us different from other animals is our big brain so for me that's a great starting point to then think okay when i'm thinking about choosing my food i already have the other steps that we've outlined here but the last step is how well can this food nourish my brain and of course you don't have to be unbelievably pedantic you're going to have different foods but that's a nice way of choosing certain foods and at least having the thought in your head because that may allow you to think a little bit differently about food about food to choose certain building blocks that you may not have thought about otherwise and um I think that's a really, really great way of thinking about it. And then, of course, finishing off then is you have to be very aware, as you said throughout this episode, of the packaging, the marketing, the synthetic foods. So another question you need to ask yourself is, is this food what it seems? Is it actually the food that it's been marketed to you as? Because as you gave the example of the eggs, there are so many foods now where they can take the commercial egg and they can take the chicken that was just eat, feeding on the corn and they may take that egg and you may be looking out for the egg that has a certain color but they can just add in additives to give it a certain color or to give it a certain taste or to give it a certain consistency and then that's going to trick your brain you may be looking out for these things but you're going to be tricked if you don't uh, be also aware that that can be going on as well so there's an awful lot out there, Teresa, to be thinking about. But another thing, I suppose, that makes sense is that you said that's one of the main reasons that we have this brain in that, yes, we're in the modern world now, right? So we're not living the way we used to live, however way you want to describe that, hunter-gatherer or caveman or whatever. But you did say, actually, we are still hunter-gatherers because although food is so abundant now, we still need to make a lot of effort, a lot of conscious effort to source and identify the right food because there are other obstacles out there now. The obstacle now isn't scarcity. It's um, 
it's that we have to be smarter in our choices. I suppose it almost brings me back to, I'm going to hand it over to you now, but it nearly brings me back to um, the point you were making in our last podcast on the five pillars of uh, wellness, where you were saying one of the biggest problems we have now in terms of information isn't that um let me see if i can think exactly what you said it's not it's not that we need to seek out information it's that we have to filter information so it's the same with food nearly in that it's not that we have to seek out food food is everywhere but we have to filter the food because 90 percent of it is rubbish anyway yes and that is exactly it is exactly the same in terms of our human motivations is humans are motivated to learn, learn throughout their life. So we are attracted to information. It's inherently valuable. We are attracted to food. It is inherently valuable. So we have to retrain our brains to be present in this kind of world, which is totally possible, but it isn't easy because brains don't like to have to work that hard. So that's why I, I, even though it's it, this is a new mindset, it doesn't overcome that your brain is going to want to eat everything. In it, it's going to want to eat, but the other problem is with this filter is it's what we want to eat and that we don't seem to want to stop eating. So those are have to do with you know what is satisfaction, satiety. It was like you know we eat but we're never full. You know you can stretch your stomach and you go okay I'm in pain so I must be full. But these are things that living in a world of abundance, they've overwhelmed our brain. Living in a world of abundance of information and living in a world in an abundance of food. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we become a little bit uh, paralyzed or we start to look again to other people, say, okay, well, I don't even begin to know how to choose. You tell me how to choose. And we're being taught how to choose from people who might not be the best choices to do that for us. So, you know, we should be able to choose for ourselves, as I said, particularly for um, this is, this is packaged in every human being, particularly in women because of the need to feed their children. And, and um, so we can make these choices, but we, it, it, it requires a little bit of effort, to do things differently. So we'll go back and we'll build on this. And of course, everyone would like a soundbite of how to do it. It just doesn't work that way. And in the end, people keep asking me, well, what should I? And I will keep resisting and say, if you understand your body, you will make the right choices for yourself because it's built into you to make those choices as long as you think about them the right way. But I'm not going to tell people what to do because I believe that long-term effects, and we then teach that to other people, is to learn how to live in the world as that we live in right now. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, that was brilliant. Well, I'm super happy with that for today. I think we did a lot of good work there and fleshed out a lot of good stuff. What do you think? Are you happy with that and wrap that up, or how are you thinking? Yes, I'm very happy with that. All right, brilliant. Well, let me listen back over this and um, we'll make a call then on if we should move on to perhaps another pillar of wellness but I actually think it would be great just to continue this since we're in this mode but um, 
yeah no that was brilliant thanks a million for your time today Teresa and uh, we'll chat to you next time all right wonderful thank you bye bye take care happy new year oh yeah happy new year as well (laughs)